0: The goal of this podcast is to invest in you and your leadership. If you're just joining us for the first time, then feel free to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there. The most popular being our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from around the world in all different sectors, give their in-depth answers on leadership, what books they love, what they found most challenging, uh, the most meaningful stories, how how they structure their time through the day. That's free, so go and check it out. And we'd love to interview you about your leadership. I believe you have advice from your experience, your context to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation, to lead them better, how do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Today's guest is Seth Stein, Seth is the CEO of Eastridge Workforce Solutions. Welcome to the podcast, Seth.
1: Well, thank you. It's great to be here. I'm excited to chat with you.
0: Yeah, first of all, can you tell our listeners a little bit about what you do, Seth?
1: Sure. I'm fortunate enough to be CEO of Eastridge Workforce Solutions. Eastridge was actually founded 50 years ago Uh, So really, really excited to hit that that, uh, huge um, milestone. Um, Eastridge was started as a traditional staffing and recruitment firm. And today we like to call ourselves a technology integrated workforce solutions company. What that really means is we focus on five unique things across the contingent workforce ecosystem. We do professional recruiting, volume recruiting, We serve as the employer of record or payroll service provider for candidates that are um, recruited and screened uh, by our clients, but for whatever reason um, they would like us to serve as the employer of record. We do recruitment process outsourcing and we have a managed services and vendor management solution. So that's a little bit about Eastridge.
0: Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think, um, One thing I'm really interested in, Seth, uh, as we chat is, you know, leaders in all sectors across all parts of the world are struggling with finding and keeping great people now. So I think what you do is uh, is more important than ever right now. Uh, But let's start by chatting about you and your story. To start off, I'd love to hear, you know, going back to your childhood and growing up, what are some moments or themes from that season that really shaped you to become the person and leader you are today?
1: It's a great question. You know, I've always um, either ended up in or put myself in situations that involved leadership. Uh, We're probably going to get into that a little bit, but I remember my first experience, I was president of the student council in junior high and opportunities presented itself. And I really liked that feeling of accomplishment and contribution. But also I grew up in a household where compliance and perfection was expected. It was never really rewarded. And so I grew up doing things that I thought other people wanted me to do. And that became candidly very unfulfilling. And so um, when I found myself, if you will, and I'm sure we'll talk about that discovery process, I was really compelled to lead, serve others, and my personal purpose is to help people experience fulfillment for themselves and those they connect with. And I think those are a couple of moments growing up that really um, you know, helped shape and sculpt who I am today.
0: Yeah, that's, that's incredible. What about, what about, I guess for you, the next season, are there any leadership opportunities after school that really stand out?
1: Oh, for sure. You know, So it started in, in junior high, in high school, um, I was a little nerdy, and that's okay. I've done okay for myself, but I was a president of Future Business Leaders of America. And in college, I uh, became president of my uh, fraternity. So it was really a unique opportunity for me to, you know, recruit like minded people and um, we'll call keep us out of trouble. And when I found Eastridge, I had no sales experience. I started as an entry-level sales professional. I'm thrilled that they gave me an opportunity. Um, And I think I saw that we could be doing things better, differently, and maybe inspire people in a different way outside of commission. And so really, my motivation was to become an exceptional sales professional so that I could be sales manager. And I thought that was my end game. And so uh, I was able to achieve that. I've obviously experienced growth in other areas, but those are some moments where, again, it felt really good to contribute. And I hate sitting on boards or committees that like to talk about problems and talk about hypotheticals of doing something. I really like to get my hands dirty and I really like to see the outcomes of a group of people working together to achieve something um, that is really meaningful. And so, again, those are some moments where I was able to experience that.
0: Yeah, that's, that's incredible. You mentioned finding yourself. Tell us about that story.
1: Thank you. Um, so I was uh, 30 years old, and at the time, I was one of the youngest leaders at the company. And uh, the owner of our company um, thought that I might, might need to experience opportunity and enrichment, which is actually our purpose, in a different way. Maybe I was a little bit of a challenger. Maybe I asked too many questions. And so we were brainstorming about my development and the idea of getting a graduate degree um, was interesting. Now, I never leaned towards business education. I have a, a Bachelor of Arts in Communication. And so I didn't know that a traditional MBA was right for me. And then I got really, really lucky that in San Diego, uh, California, the University of San Diego collaborated with the Ken Blanchard companies. And most listeners will probably know that uh, Ken Blanchard's probably most famous book is The One Minute Manager, although he's gone on to be one of the Mm -hmm. best selling business authors uh, out there. And his company uh, and University of San Diego collaborated on an executive leadership program. And the thesis was leaders should be making the world a better place not just making money. And about half of the program was MBA material. So yes, I took investing and statistics and, and all those fun things. But the other half of the course was servant leadership as taught by the Ken Blanchard companies. And the first class was called discovering yourself. And you may know about the DISC profile. And the DISC profile helps people yeah. understand their natural disposition and And you know, why do they do the things that they do and um, how to view other people uh, through the lens of them being individuals. And it was just really an opportunity for me to understand that, you know, this is why I feel the way I do, these are my values. Um, And understanding what I wanted to do with the rest of my career at such a young age was a profound experience that really shaped in a very large way who I am today. And I'm really, really fortunate that, um, uh, Ken Blanchard and his colleagues in the university of San Diego came into my life at that time.
0: Yeah. That's uh, what was it about the course that was so effective, Seth?
1: Um, I think a lot of leaders that I've been exposed to know finance and accounting, um, they know marketing and I know a little bit about all those things to be dangerous because of that exposure, um, But I just, uh, I either believe or I was brainwashed appropriately that if you treat people well, if you design your leadership philosophy to serve others and you create an inspiring workplace, that great things will happen, you know, culturally for people to work, for them to grow and be committed to something bigger than themselves, to inspire learning on an ongoing basis, um, to be part of a team. And I don't think it's a surprise that we've created that environment at Eastridge. And as a result, um, we've experienced two of our best years ever during the most difficult time, arguably in business ever. And I think that's <laughs> wow. what was so inspirational about it. And bit by bit, you know, we did an acquisition in 2010. So about five years after I was done with this program and I got an opportunity from our founder to run that business, we'll call it the way that I saw fit, so I was able to use that organization as a learning lab, and we're able to realize a return on our investment in a year and a half. And I just wow. think it demonstrated the power of the servant leadership philosophy. And so that's what I think was so inspiring about the program, and and candidly, the results.
0: Wow, that's uh, that's so cool! Uh, what an amazing story. Um, so after, uh, uh, well, apart from that incredible course and i love hearing about experiences like that because that's what education should be and and so thank you for sharing that uh, just incredible story um are there any other aha moments so far where you dropped the ball and it stuck with you or you had a win that went surprisingly better than you thought or you saw another leader anything that's been ingrained in your memory because it was a big aha moment that penny dropped for you as a leader
1: um I, I think we only have about a half an hour. So uh, this could be you know, 10 <laughs> podcasts, yeah. right? But there's several. And, and l- let me begin with the most, I think, impactful. Um, so our founder passed away in 2017, about 45 years with the company. And um, his two sons were involved with the business. And when the founder passed, people started inquiring about Eastridge because we're a pretty known asset in our space. And at the end of the day, we decided to become a employee owned company. With that, the founder Sons ended up leaving the company day to day, they're still on the board. And they asked me to become CEO. That was January of 2020. We all know that COVID hit in March of 2020. And the reason why i um, we'll call it grateful for the experience outside, of course, all the illness, and all the people that lost jobs during that time. But for me as a CEO, I truly believe that um, when you're tested, you get to see one's true colors. And it brought me closer to the team. They got to really see my leadership style. And because of what was necessary for the business, ongoing communication, transparency, stating our goals and objectives, ensuring that we minimize surprises, it brought me a lot closer to those that I did not know in the company, because I was responsible for about 65% of the revenue. And very quickly, they were able to see um, me in action. And because of our experience and success, it really helped, I think, um, qualify what I needed to do moving forward as a leader. So that aha moment um, was really profound. Again, I'm happy to go into more detail. But if it were not for that experience, it might have taken me a much longer time to build trust and have the impact that I was looking to have on the team.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so on on reflection, what do you think were some of the keys to the past couple of years for you as a leader being so successful?
1: Um, so number one, um, and, and we're lucky we can do this because we are an employee-owned company, we really have complete transparency regarding our key performance indicators. As a staffing company, we're almost like a bank somebody needs, we'll call it a hundred temporary associates for a seasonal ramp, we give them terms. So for us, ensuring um, that we have a a meaningful line of credit is absolutely critical. And of course, with the line of credit, our covenants, Uh, I guarantee you it was the first time that at least half the company understood what covenants was as it relates to a lending environment. So we shared our covenants, we shared what our um, Uh, thresholds were. And every single Friday, we had a town hall. And we talked about our performance. We talked about those covenants. uh, We tried to eliminate surprises because, of course, there were some layoffs and salary cuts during the beginning of COVID. But we also were able to share, if we hit certain objectives, here's how we can restore pay, maybe give some bonuses, begin hiring again. So that was one thing. Second, is we clearly needed to reshape our vision. We had a five-year vision, but we had to shorten it into we'll call it sprints so that everybody was moving in the same direction and everybody understood the why behind our objectives. And then as things we'll call it relaxed from a stress perspective, it allowed us to share some good news. And by the way, they're allowed to ask any question they want either before the town hall anonymously or if anybody wants to raise their hand and ask a tough question. Um, So we started growing together and they made some suggestions. We created an advisory board and it's led to a cultural transformation in a positive way um, that I think has allowed us to achieve those two very successful years. Um, The town halls continue. We've created uh, employee resource groups or affinity groups. We started talking about public events and what is our part um, to ensure that we're having an impact on the communities that we serve? Um, so it brought a lot of things, mostly um, focus on performance, um, holding people accountable, and just bringing us co- uh, culturally closer together as an organization.
0: Yeah, amazing. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, what about mentors or great leaders? Who have been some of the people in your career so far, Seth? who have had the biggest positive influence on you and your leadership?
1: Um, I'd love to get into that uh, before I do. Yeah, it's not all, um, uh, you know, uh, positive as it relates <laughs> to some of those learning moments. I do want to say the biggest lessons I've learned were from, you know, mistakes and what I could have done differently and ensuring that I articulate those mistakes and move forward. So I definitely yeah. wanted to say, I have a lot of flaws. I've made a lot of mistakes, but those have been very impactful. And certainly if we have time, we can certainly talk about that. Um, yeah. There's a couple of leaders that come to mind. Um, again, our founder was an exceptional human being. Um, so his name uh, is uh, Bob Svet. Like I said, he passed in, in 2017. And the care and concern he had for people um, is inspiring and candidly unmatched and before it was popular um, he implemented our purpose and our values that remains with us today and it is definitely not art on a wall another leader is Gary Ridge Gary Ridge is the uh, chairman and CEO of WD40 what I admire about Gary is he was in the first cohort of the program that I went through um, Uh, executive leadership. And he implemented um, these concepts flawlessly to create a 93% employee satisfaction rate. (laughs) And he transformed the company um, from what he refers to as a brand fortress. Everyone has WD-40. I probably have six cans because I always forget where I put them into a fortress of brands and his international expansion, new product development and acquisitions to manage that change with such a high approval rate. Um, And for him to take uh, those lessons and share them openly, um, he has this website called the learning moment. Uh, He's really, really giving an example of servant leadership and someone I don't know Um, and today you can always get yourself in trouble by referencing somebody and maybe you don't know one of their hidden secrets. So I'm putting myself out there, uh, but I don't know Howard Schultz, um, with Starbucks, but I was so inspired by his book, pour your heart into it. Um, and there's so many lessons. I mean, first of all, the story reads like fiction. So how can you not be energized by that entrepreneurial spirit? And um, virtually everyone in the world, uh, I say virtually, uh, has had a cup of Starbucks coffee. I don't know what we would do with our free time without Starbucks coffee. And to see him quit his job, buy this company, and create what it is today, by the way, coming back now for his third stint. Some say that's good. Some say that's bad. Those lessons from that book have been just phenomenal for me.
0: Yeah, that's that's a that's a great recommendation. Um, let's go back to the founder. Did you say it was Bob who was the founder of the?
1: Yep, Bob's yeah, Bob. fat.
0: Bob's Svet. So tell me, are there any moments that stand out to you are, of Bob's leadership where you saw him manage a crisis, or how he managed people, or how he um, you know led a team hmm. or servant leadership? Any any specific stories about Bob that you could share?
1: I'll be honest with you, and I get a lot of credit for helping our company navigate COVID as a rookie um, CEO. But when we experienced the great um, recession, 2007, 2008, 2009, um, I still have it here in my, I'm in my home office and I have all of my notes and all of the memos that he sent to the company with the game plan for being transparent, ensuring that the company maintained its line of credit, which we did. Um, And um, someone once said to me, I don't know if I agree or disagree. um, Fair means different things to different people. So the way that he um, asked all members of the company to have, we'll call it skin in the game, and yet um, honored and rewarded those people that were pulling their fair share if you will, uh, was a wonderful lesson of crisis leadership. And if it were not for that playbook, I'm not sure that this rookie CEO CEO would have done half the job that I did. And um, to see him do that with grace um, and honor uh, while still preserving relationships was, um, was an amazing playbook that he left me.
0: Yeah, wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, let's go back to some yeah. of those aha moments. I know you had a uh, a, bunch of, a bunch of those. <laughs> Did you want to share another one?
1: Yeah. Another one. There's two. There's an individual. Um, I'll call him Brian, who when I was um, a regional manager, my first larger opportunity, you know, a sales manager, I had maybe seven, eight, 10 people. As regional manager, maybe it was, you know, 30 or 40 And um, some of the aha moments are letting people go too soon. He's gone on to have a wonderful career. And he was a really great addition to the team. You know, when you can really learn something from somebody. And at the time, I didn't pull all the strings. I didn't fight hard enough for Brian. And uh, I regret it to this day. Uh, And there's also some people where uh, I worked too hard to try to Either change performance, mm-hmm. change behavior, and ended up costing the business. And I, I think I have to find the sweet spot
0: <laughs>
1: to where uh, I can be candid, right? And, and we evaluate people on both performance and behavior. If behaviors are amazing, but there's no performance, you can't be employed forever. And if your performance is amazing, but your behaviors are atrocious, you're going to be very difficult to work with. So we work to find the sweet spot and ensure growth in each quadrant. Uh, And I kept people too long. Um, And so I think understanding how I can do better in both of those areas uh, is still with me. Um, And then also as a young sales professional, I made a mistake. Um, It was a proposal Mm -hmm. and let's just say I messed up some numbers. We got to the finalist round And we were asked to sharpen the pencil as one often does when they connect with procurement. And um, I changed the numbers. And um, I'll just say, I went to someone internally for some advice because I was very young. Mm. And they said, you have a chance to submit another bid just to submit another bid. The procurement person called me and said, I noticed you changed something that I didn't ask you to change. Why? And I owned it. I was just completely honest. I said, listen, I found this mistake. Mm. Um, I socialized it internally. I clearly got bad advice. This is the mistake. This is what I did. And he said, I really appreciate your honesty. That must have taken a lot of guts. And I want to teach you a lesson that it's never too late to do the right thing. You owned it. You apologized. And we ended up winning a very large contract. Wow. And I think at the age of, we'll call it 26, it was one of the most um, memorable learning moments I've ever had as a professional. And now I'm, uh, I don't know that any leader can be honest to a fault, uh, but I put it out there. Let me tell you that much.
0: Yeah, that's, that's, that's such a great story. And what a wonderful um, <laughs> approach from the person in procurement to, to be so generous like that as well. Uh, you, you talked before about finding the sweet spot in terms of not fighting hard enough for people and sometimes fighting too hard and too long. I know this is still a work in progress, uh, like it is for all of us, but any tips on how to manage and how to try to find that sweet spot? When do you know you need to work harder for someone? When do you know, maybe it's getting a bit long in the tooth and and you probably, um, you, you know, it's probably not worth continuing to fight to change that performance or keep that person.
1: It's a great question. And I spent a lot of time thinking about this. So what I would say first and foremost, um, Each party needs to understand, in my opinion, where the other stands, and they need to understand what their goals are, um, how are they doing towards the goals, and I want to make sure that if I say, do you know how I would rank you on performance and behavior, what I would say, and we have to make sure there's alignment. I also need to invest. If I really want someone to make it, and I just delegate, and they don't know how to do the job, I'm not setting them for, for success, and I'm not doing my job as a leader, So I have to diagnose their development level and make sure that they're getting the right resources from the organization in order to be successful. Because if you're not going to do that, um, it's just never going to work out. Then on a monthly basis, uh, we get together for business reviews. And we certainly talk about um, people's performance. Um, Positive, you know, as Ken Blanchard says, one minute praise, one minute reprimand, one minute redirect. On a quarterly basis, we get together... With HR and in all of our quarterly reviews, the first thing we do is focus on people. And we look at them from a behavior and performance perspective. Behavior is based on our values and what we call Eastridge DNA. And that is the, uh, the way in which we can see those values being demonstrated. And then from a performance perspective, right? Everyone has either a contract or job description or key performance indicators. And we look at um, the measurables. And we can see how do they rank on a scale of one to five on performance and then behaviors. And then we do it next quarter. And if the person has not moved up in both categories, there's a problem. And we deal with the problem. We make sure that there's a performance plan. We make sure we communicate it. But an individual cannot regress or stay static from a performance and behavior perspective, unless they're, um, you know, seven and a half or above on, on, on each of them. It just cannot happen two quarters in a row, because if that's the case, right, they become detractors. They, they don't feel supported. Um, if they're part of a team, people are probably already aware that the person's not cutting it and we owe it to that person to be honest, give them the resources. And if it doesn't work, we have a saying, let them leave as friends and we'll do whatever we can to support them. And if the, you know, if we come to a resolution, If they give proper notice, we help them find a job. Um, They are part of our Eastridge alumni network. And um, we curate that for um, needs and leads. And we hope that Eastridge is a great place to be from. And oftentimes when people leave, um, they find something that might be more suited for them. But if we're not evaluating performance behaviors and more important, communicating that, like I said, we haven't done our job. So that's the way that we look at performance management at our company
0: yeah, that's uh, that's incredible, Seth. Thank you for sharing that. I love I love the focus on uh, the conversation about people and how you uh, give them rankings. That's, that's something that I do, uh, and I always recommend leaders do it offsite. So I love hearing that because I think we have to have these honest conversations as leaders about how our people are going, and then we need to go and have honest conversations with them. And like you said, really, these honest conversations should already be happening before we meet at the offsite. But my experience is that a lot of us need the prompt of our peers and of our team and our leader, if we're, if we're not the leader of the team, to say, come on, okay, well, how are you going to go and like, does that person realize their behavior in that issue is a five out of 10?
1: Exactly. I love your idea about offsite and it needs to be very specific because I think the most disrespectful thing you can do to somebody is get distracted. Say that um, yeah. I, oh, someone else needs me. I've got to leave. Or um, you're checking your phone, or you're checking your email. So I absolutely agree uh, uh, about taking them off-site and having uh, you know that really candid conversation. And I think that's a way you know um, I know about your book, uh, and that's a way to avoid um, mm. people becoming difficult. Because if you're yeah. not giving them feedback, if you're not giving tools and resources, like I said, they'll become detractors or they'll become very difficult. And then it's too late. Let's avoid that. Yeah,
0: yeah, I love it. It's so true, and uh, I think uh, I think you hit the nail on the head there. You can avoid that and get ahead of it if you, which is it sounds like, is what you've done. And I think that, for me, looking on, I, I would say that sounds like it's been a really crucial part of the past couple of years. Um, is that you've had that high performance culture?
1: It is, but let me be really, really candid of all the things I've had to work on, ensuring that I give feedback, especially negative feedback. um, If I'm to hurt somebody or perceive that I'm gonna hurt somebody, or I am nervous about the response to me because I'm overthinking if I did a good job, it has been the hardest component of my job. And I have worked really, really hard to ensure that I give that feedback so that it doesn't get worse. And um, I solicit feedback to ensure that I'm doing a good job in communication. And I make sure that I don't sandwich the good, the bad, the good. And that I ask them to repeat back to me, what did you hear? And what are we going to do about it? Because I don't think early on in my career, I was very good at this. And I absolutely overthink it. And I think I'm not alone. I think leaders are nervous to have the conversation. And that's when these conversations, especially a potential termination or separation goes haywire. So um, yeah, I'm not great at it. I work very hard at it. And I needed to put that out there.
0: <laughs> now, thank you for sharing that. And I think it's helpful for leaders to hear that. I don't know that there are many things in leadership more challenging than uh, feedback and difficult conversations, because some things, you know, we all have different skills in different areas. But one thing that's always uncomfortable uh, is a difficult conversation. And so I think when you know it's always uncomfortable, yes, that's helpful, but it doesn't change the fact that it's uncomfortable. And so there's natural human reactions where you you won't look forward to it. And so it takes a lot of intentionality um, and a lot of consistency to to get better um, at doing those things. And a lot of us, I think that's why we avoid them because it is a lot of the time it's easier in the short term to avoid it, but it definitely bites you later on.
1: I have three business coaches and I think they've helped me and right. I think that's a foundation of, uh, your book, oftentimes your podcast and the consulting work you do. So it's really, really helpful to have a partner, um, to help, um, you know, coach us leaders through, um, these difficult situations. So I also appreciate the work that you do.
0: Oh, you're very kind. Thank you, Seth. Well, Mm -hmm. I want to jump into the leadership express questions. Are you ready? I am. First question, what is a book that you've gifted to other people?
1: My favorite book is Leading at a Higher Level by Ken Blanchard. Um, You can save yourself tens of thousands of dollars and not go to the master's degree program and read that book. It's a master's degree program in a book, and I socialize it with every senior leader in our company.
0: Love it. Great recommendation. I haven't actually had that one, so I'm really loving that Ken Blanchard recommendation. Thank you. Um, Thank any, you. Sure. Any any books you're reading right now, Seth, or any podcasts you're listening to or blogs you're following, just anything you're loving watching, listening, reading at the moment?
1: There's three. Um, Ride of a Lifetime by Bob Iger, uh, the former CEO of Disney. Again, it's one of these business books that le- read like fiction. And you get a lot of nuggets from uh, Bob Iger, who um, was not in any way putting myself in the same category, but he was a professional manager. He was not an entrepreneur. So I love learning lessons from professional managers, if you will. Next is winning on purpose to create a culture of, uh, of customer service um, and uh, ensuring that our team loves customers. And believe it or not, I never read Rich Dad Poor Dad. And so um, I am listening to the audiobook of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, what, 25 years later.
0: Such a good book. Yeah, I, I love it. Um, great recommendations. What's a recent leadership lesson you've learned for the first time or been reminded of?
1: Acting in the interests of all is more important than acting in the interests of one.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's profound. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, next question. Do you have any favorite questions that you ask? You're in a one on one, you're with a team, uh, you're with a group of stakeholders, and any favorite questions?
1: Yeah, my business coach, Sheldon Harris, brought these to me, and I love them. And oftentimes I do skip levels where I'll go to an individual that reports to someone that reports to me, or I'll use our um, Ring Central and I'll just contact an employee. By the way, they usually decline the call and then they send me a message saying, did you mean to call me? Yes, I meant to call you. Because with this hybrid or work from home environment, I can't walk around and connect. So the three questions that I ask are on a scale of one to 10, how satisfied are you with the company and why? I ask them, from your perspective, what should we start doing that we're not doing? And what should we stop doing that's a waste of time? And I love those three questions. I get a lot of great information.
0: Yeah, I, I love those questions too. I'm a big fan of a stop doing list. Uh, I think individuals and organizations could probably spend more time doing stop doing lists than to-do lists sometimes and, and really cut 100%. some things out. Uh, and and that in and of itself will, will free up a bit of a vacuum principle where those good things <laughs> that we're doing suddenly have more time and it'll fill up. Uh, So, yeah, they're great questions. Um, What is a great piece of advice you've received, Seth? It could be about leadership, but may just be about life.
1: I just read this quote, and I don't know that I can pronounce the person's name correctly. It's, we don't see things as they are. We see them as we are. And as I shared with you early on, I found myself at the age of 30. And so much of my view of the world of other people were because of the lens that I see the world through um, and the pet peeves that I have. And so I realized that people don't do things to me. They're just being them and how I react to them is on me. So I love Mm. that quote and that piece of advice and it really helps me, we'll call it, calm down when I'm offended or upset and they're just doing them. It's me that I have to think about what's the meaning behind it and why am I feeling the way that I'm feeling?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's so good. We don't see things as they <laughs> are. We see things as we are. Really good. Love it. Yes. Uh, what, what about a TV Thank show you. or a movie that really impacted you? Maybe something serious that really made a difference or something lighthearted to sort of switch off that you've just loved?
1: So, I'm often asked... Um, like my favorite movie of all time. And I would say I'm not an entertainment junkie. You know, I, I don't binge shows very often unless my, uh, uh, you know, that's how my wife and I are spending our time. Um, so I'll share like a, a movie. Uh, my favorite movie of all time is, is probably Rocky. And at one, my dad took me to see the first, what, two or three Rockies multiple times. And I just love the underdog story and how, through um you know hard work, um, you know he was able to to rise and uh, become champion of the world so uh, that's one movie that I always you know puts a smile on my face and if it's on television, I'll probably watch it no matter where it is um, when I find it.
0: That's so good. I haven't had that recommendation yet, but i'm I love the movie Rocky and uh, it's a it's a great recommendation for people to. To go and check out if they haven't seen it. Wonderful movie about the underdog. Okay, last question, Seth. <laughs> yeah. If if you could only give okay. one piece of leadership advice to a young leader, what would you say?
1: If I could only give one piece of leadership advice to a young leader, um, I would just say, um, stick to your values. Um. Our company values have served us for a long time. My personal values, when I finally wrote them down in 2003, have served me for a long time. And my family has values. So it's a great way to hold yourself accountable. It's a great way for people to know where you stand. And if you're ever having a problem with making decisions, you can always go back to your values, provided that they're rank-ordered, And you can make a decision based on those values. It served me really, really well. uh, And I would encourage um, young leaders to think about what's most important to them. What do they want to stand for? What do they want to be known for? And values is just a a great, great way to do that, provided that you share them.
0: Yeah, that's great. And I think what you said earlier is key, you know, about the vision and values of uh, of Eastridge, that when when they were first. Put together by Bob they weren't just art on a wall they were lived out and that's what I love about what you've shared about values is yes articulate them but values are only as helpful as uh, how much you live them out and how much you actually uh, look at them and uh, and put decisions through the filters like you just said and uh, you know what it's, it's one of the biggest challenges for me working with leaders to You know, we'll do an amazing values process, but that's only half the battle. Uh, Sometimes people haven't done that half, but very, (laughs) which you know, which makes the other half sort of impossible. But gee, there are a lot of people who have good values, but just don't live them out or or apply them.
1: Well, um, it's interesting because at Eastridge we have what's called a DNA interview desired natural attributes. And it's really based on um, values and behaviors. How do they, again, convey those values? And it's not about skill. Those, the, the skill um, and job specifics are handled by managers and we have a DNA committee. So everyone coming into the company knows we are serious about values. And then we do a monthly new hire orientation. And of course, those values um, are uh, focused on during the new hire orientation. So, People know how serious we are about it. Uh, and I think it really sends the right message that we spend that that amount of time and, and energy on uh, our core values.
0: Yeah, I agree. Thank you for sharing that, Seth. Well, for those who've loved this and really enjoyed your thoughts, where can people find you and Eastridge online, Seth?
1: Great, it's eastridge.com, E-A-S-T-R-I-D-G-E. Of course, I'm on LinkedIn, Uh, as well. And if anybody wants to email me, uh, I try and be as responsive as I can. It's sstein at eastridge.com.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much. Well, I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. Wonderful uh, episode today with Seth. Great thoughts on values and and a bunch of other things. Uh, Finding the sweet spot in uh, knowing how long to to go into bat for someone and really and really fight to keep them, um, and knowing that you can let them go too soon or keep them around too long, and it is a, it is a sweet spot, and definitely I know it's something I'm still learning. Um, so uh, don't forget, for our listeners, there's also the John O. White Leadership Podcast and the Leadership Question of the Day Podcast, two other places you can go right now if you're interested and and go and invest in your leadership. But I want to thank you Seth as my sort of landing point for today I just want to say a massive thank you you've been so generous with your time I really appreciate you sharing the stories about um, finding yourself at 30 and and uh, just some wonderful stories from the past couple of years about how you do culture at Eastridge and um, yeah it's just been a very rich conversation and challenging in all the best ways Uh, so thank you so much for coming on Seth.
1: It was truly my pleasure. I had a great time. Thanks again for the invitation.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast as much as I did. If you're joining us for the first time, don't forget to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, including our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from all over the world in all different roles in different industries answer these seven questions on leadership and leaders give these in-depth answers around how they spend their time, uh, a book that's been significant for them. It's just a gold mine. It's completely free to access. So go to consultclarity.org and look for that. We'd also love to interview you about your leadership.